Good morning, TBA. I've been trying to get the guys to let me get up here on stage with this thing wrapped around my head forever. They finally decided to let that happen. My name is Tim Parker, and I'm one of the men's ministry leaders here at TBA. My wife, Joni, and I are also beginning to develop the Next Steps ministry, and I will talk a little bit more about that a little later on. It's my honor to be a guest speaker today following the pastor's retreat this past week. Just to share a little bit of information, I was able to go over this past week on Wednesday to, to give my talk, um, to receive a little bit of critique back from the guys. And they shared with me what some of that vision might look like 2015, 2016. They shared with me also some personal changes that they really wanted to make. Some personal changes that they really wanted to make. They, they felt like TBA, you know, TBA is trusting, believing, and acting. But sometimes you see the three pastors up here on the stage and you think it stands for the bald apostles. The bald apostles. So they wanted to try to kind of change that uh, stereotype that they had. So guys, you're, I took some pictures while I was over there. You're okay with me showing these, right? Okay. First up, we have Dave Shive. I want you to know that Dave is in charge of our youth. He does an amazing job. And he wanted to go for more of a matronly look. little hairstyle change for him. Brian Legg, hog hunter. I wasn't real sure about this style for him. I'm afraid that it's going to get caught up in the, the briars or the barbed wire as he goes across it, but uh, <laughs> it might work, buddy. And then we've got our rock star, Brian Stiverson, up here on stage. I, I don't know how he, how he could be anything other than than a platinum blonde. I understand that I need to watch my back for quite a while after this. Married men, let me ask you a question. Does your wife notice everything? Does, she, does your wife notice that the drawer that she keeps all of your children's keepsakes in was accessed by you at 3.30 in the afternoon because it was a sixteenth of an inch away from being closed completely. Does your wife notice that you've eaten garlic that day before you ever even pull into the neighborhood? Does your wife notice that the earth has tilted another two degrees off of its axis? Well, Joni does. Joni notices just about everything that is out of its normal position. I think that the perceptiveness that is evident in Joni about things being out of place or outside the norm, even at the smallest degree, is something that Christians face every day. And some of the things that we fail at are way more obvious than any of the things I mentioned that Joni and some of the others in my life are so good at picking up on. If you call yourself a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, you are under a very big microscope. You are being watched closely, and sometimes our actions are leaving the drawer instead of a sixteenth of an inch open. We're leaving it wide open. There's a story that I heard that goes a little like this. I was sitting at a stoplight this morning. The lady in front of me was going through papers on the seat of her car, and when the light changed to green, she did not obey its command. When the light turned to red and she still had not moved, I began with my windows up, screaming 
and beating on my steering wheel. My expressions of distress were interrupted by a policeman, gun drawn, tapping on the window. Against my protestations of, you can't arrest me for hollering in my car, he ordered me into the back seat of his car. After about two hours in a holding cell, the arresting officer advised me I was free to go. I stormed out at him. I knew you couldn't arrest me for yelling in my own car. You haven't heard the last of this. The officer replied, I didn't arrest you for shouting in your car, sir. I was directly behind you at the light. I saw you screaming and beating on your steering wheel, and I said to myself, what a jerk. But there is absolutely nothing I can do to him for throwing a fit in his car. Then I noticed the cross hanging in your rearview mirror. The bright yellow Choose Life license tag and the Jesus is Coming Soon bumper sticker. I arrested you because I assumed you had stolen the car. <laughs> Any of you ever had anything happen like that with the TBA church bumper sticker on the back? The title of this message is a quote by C.S. Lewis. What you do, shout so loud... I can't hear what you say. Tom Carter, a very good friend of mine, was giving a talk last year, a powerful talk that changed lives. And one of the quotes that he used was, preach the gospel and, if necessary, use words. I love that quote. I think it speaks directly to our discussion today, but in order to share the gospel, you do need to use words. You do need to be able to talk and discuss with people that are asking questions. So I think what this quote is saying is make sure what you do matches what you say. Are you good at walking the talk? If you had to ask yourself this question, how would you answer it? Are you good at it all the time? Are you good at it at church but not at work? Are you best at it while you're with your kids, or does that make it even more difficult? You know, whenever Zachary was about five years old, he uh, had come home and told his mother that I was not using some very good words as I took him to school that morning. So whenever I came home, Joni wanted to make me aware of that. Of course, I couldn't think of what I could possibly have been saying, but Joni pressed the issue even though he did not want to repeat that word. He knew it was something bad. She pressed him. And, she, and he let her know that if somebody had cut across in front of me at the light, I had called him a knucklehead. <laughs> now, I'm glad that it was knucklehead. But what concerns me about that was my attitude towards that person. Even though the word may not have been bad, my attitude towards him was. The scripture that we will be looking at today is Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another in brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. 
Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourself, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The ESV labels this chapter marks of a true Christian. The NIV, love in action. New King James Version, behave like a Christian. Holman Christian Standard Bible, Christian Ethics. Love and action, marks of a true Christian. Now there's no way that we're going to make it through the whole chapter today, and I'm sure you're very excited to hear that. So we're going to concentrate on verses 9 and 10. I think these two verses are quick to sum up the entire chapter. Let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Let and love, or let and be, are italics that have been added to the translation of the Bible. These were not originally in the Greek manuscript. They've been added for clarity, to let us know what Paul is trying to convey. He's trying to convey that the love that he is talking about is an action, not a feeling. The word agape in this verse is the word that is used for love, is translated into love. And that translation is God's unconditional love for us. So what Paul is telling us to do is to actively pursue others with unconditional love. Pray for them. Care for them. Be concerned for them. Be interested in what's going on in their lives. I think our relationships with our children come closest to what unconditional love looks like, which makes sense. It's a reality of what our Heavenly Father's love for His children looks like, multiplied far more than we could ever comprehend. I know, although difficult to do sometimes, I would say that we look at even our close relationships, casual friendships, as being worthy of this love. But Paul is asking us to do this with complete strangers. People maybe that we don't even like. How is that even possible? Well, Philippians 4.13 answers that question. All things are possible through Christ who strengthens me. If it is in God's will, it is not only possible, but it is promised. <clears throat> Abhor what is evil. Abhor what is evil. Apostagio is the word translated to to abhor. Its use is an extreme way of saying that you should hate to despise or to vehemently dislike anything that is evil. It is only used here in all of the New Testament. That speaks volumes to me that it's used here to express a Christian characteristic. So if I get what Paul is saying, he's telling me to hate something? He's telling me to hate someone right after he's told me to love the way that God loves me 
And as Christians, we get this wrong all the time. We think that because we need to hate what is evil, or let's change the word instead of evil, let's use sinful, then that means that we need to hate the person that it is manifesting in. I don't think that Paul means that, nor do I think he contradicts himself here. Did you know that darkness is not an actual thing? It is only the absence of light. Did you know that bad is only the absence of good? So it stands to reason that evil is only the absence of love. I know that's tough to do for someone who's wronged you. I know it's tough to do for those who have done atrocious things. All of those are true and can only come from one thing. And I'll talk about that a little bit later. I know we see all of the obvious evil in the world, and typically we're really good at picking it out in everyone else. But how good are you at picking it out in yourself? Or even noticing that something inside of you is evil, like pride or selfishness or thoughts of revenge or holding a grudge. Are these things evil? Of course they are. They lack love. Hold fast to what is good or cling to what is good. The translation that most fits here or helps explain the meaning that Paul has is, the, is in the New King James Version. It says, cling to what is good. The Greek word kaleo, to cling intimately. See, it is, uh, this word kaleo is used by Paul in other scripture, but it is normally used to explain the intimacy, the intimacy between a husband and a wife. So what Paul is saying is that we need to be as close as we can to good. We need to hold on to good just like we would hold on to our spouse. Cling so tightly that we are surrounded by the light. In extra-biblical Greek, the word kaleo means to be glued. So what Paul wants to tell us is that we need to be intimately glued to good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Be devoted to one another in love. Be devoted is the phrase that comes from the Greek word philostorgos. And just like apostagio, philostorgos is only used here in all of the New Testament. It was a word commonly used in wills to express tender affection within family. And the word Philadelphia is where the phrase brotherly love comes from. So what Paul wants us to do, we should be loving our brothers and sisters in Christ like family because that is who they are. How many of you can look around this room and say you have brothers and sisters in here that are not blood relation? I would even wager that these bonds that you have with these men and women are just as strong or stronger than the ones you have with biological family. In the military, it is not uncommon for us to mess with each other, with other branches about the military, uh, who's better. Isn't that right, Bob Malchek? You see, I'm a Marine and Bob was in the Navy. And although we are the most closely related of all the branches, we still have trouble agreeing. You see, the Navy likes to point out the fact that the Marine Corps is a department of the Navy. I think the Marines would agree to that. A Marine's response to that is typically, yes, we are a department of the Navy the men's department. 
I'm sure that if you talk to Bob this morning, he will have a version that's not so flattering for the core. We love to try to get at each other, but let another nation talk bad about the United States military and see how quickly we respond. My dad's here today. Hey, Dad. How am I doing? Okay. And, Dad, I don't know if you remember this or not, but it has stuck with me forever. We were in Ozella, which is a little south of Crystal River. I'm not even sure how old we were. I'm thinking I was 10 and my brother Jason 7. And I was wrestling with my cousins, and I think they had teamed up on me, and they were starting to get a little more serious as the match went along. I remember Jason jumping in, and the next thing I know, I'm out, and he's the one that's on the bottom of the pile. I remember standing thinking, I need to get back in there, but I wasn't moving quite quick enough. Next thing I hear is my dad's voice breaking it up, and then Jason and I are in the camper with him. And Dad wasn't at all happy for leaving, for, with me for leaving my brother in the battle all alone. Dad is one of those dads that I probably would rather have had a beating than have to face the look of disappointment in my actions or the discussion that we were going to have. He quickly let me know that family was always there for each other, and no matter how hard the battle looked, we were to jump in. And that lesson that I learned so long ago, I share with my sons anytime they are treating each other harshly. And that is how we should be with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Lift them up when they've fallen and speak truth in love when they're being knuckleheads. Outdo one another in showing honor. We as Christians are supposed to lead by example in all of these things. We should not be waiting for someone else to step in or step up. Ladies, I'm sure that you have struggles with these things from time to time, but I think your spirit naturally leans towards these characteristics. So let me direct this more to the men and the role that we play in God's plan. We are supposed to be the leaders in our home. We are supposed to be the leaders in our church. We are supposed to be the leaders in our community. Not because we've done anything special to earn it. Not because we deserve it. We are leaders because we are called to it by God. And this is a huge responsibility. You don't have to raise your hands on this question, but I want you to ask yourself this. How many of you are living out that spiritual leadership in your family? Let me be perfectly clear on this. If you're not the spiritual leader in your family, then you are not following God's call on your life. And you are in danger of causing your family to stumble without that leadership. I'm disappointed to say that there was a time when Joni was being the leader and I was being the knucklehead. Outdo one another in showing honor. Set the bar, men. Set the bar high. Pray for your family. Get in the Word with your family. Exemplify these characteristics for your wife and your kids and those that are around you. This should not be a competition to see who can do better. This should be your chance to encourage people to be better. We are always going to struggle with sin, but that does not mean that we should give in to it. 
that should make us want to fight all the more to overcome it. Every little battle that I win brings me a step closer to God. And every time I fall, it's a chance to get up and take that that step towards God quicker than I did the last time. Men, your families need you. Your community needs you. Your church needs you. Are you going to answer the call? All of these things are called Christian characteristics. But I think if you look around the world, there are non-Christians that show these very same characteristics and sometimes do it even better than us. To what makes true Christian characteristics and gives Christians the ability to live these out at the level that Paul talks about. Devotion to God. Devotion to God is the only fuel power enough to keep these ideals burning inside of us and the true reason for us to be striving to attain these characteristics. There are three things that are required to set the stage for you to have a devotion to God. I'm going to touch on them briefly, but I want, you to, I want to give you the name of a book that you can read. That will help you learn a little bit more about these things. Actually, a lot. It's a great book. It's called The Practices of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. The Practices of Godliness by Jerry Bridges. So devotion to God. The first practice is a fear of God. Not to be afraid of him, but to be in awe of who he is and what he's done and what he's created. The second is a love of God. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. He took every whiplash and every hammer nail on that cross for us. Love of God. Now the first two create a base for the third and most important practice, which is desire for God. We need to spend time talking with God, being in the Word, being in prayer. He wants to listen to everything that we have to say. So, devotion to God. That is what makes all of those things in Romans 12, 9 through 21, Christian characteristics. Now, as we start to wrap this up, I want to discuss some things that have been laid on my heart for a while. Just some quick background for me. I've been blessed to be a part of TBA since the beginning, and even further back as one of the two churches that merged together. I've seen a lot of changes over the years, the biggest change being the people that have stayed around and those that have moved on. This may be uncomfortable for some of you, but if I could have everyone in the room that's been a part of TBA since the merge, please stand. Please take a look around the room. These people have been faithful since God placed TBA on this path. Thank you all for being obedient, and thank you for the blessing that you have been in the life of my family. Please take a seat. You know what's awesome? It's hard for me to remember who came from what side of that merge. I only know that they are part of my family right now. We average about 350 adults in the auditorium each Sunday and around 500 per week, including kids. 
When we decided to merge, we were two healthy, thriving churches. And although not all were on board, we decided to move forward into what we believed and still believe was God's calling for us. It's hard to believe that by the time we moved onto the property after we merged, we had dropped to about 150 people. Not exactly a number you would look at and say God's hand is obvious in, the, in this, especially after merging with about 400. Although as I tell this story, I seem to remember Gideon ending up with less men than he felt comfortable with to attack a much larger army. But he was faithful and God provided, much as he has done here. Over the years, we have worked our way back up, just north of where we started. The stories are amazing and a beautiful part of the TBA family. I have briefly touched on this story, and for those of you that do not know that story, please catch up with someone that does and ask them to share it with you. It's an awesome story of God's plan for two churches and God's providential hand in it every step of the way. God has provided in more ways than one and shown up in huge and awesome ways, whether that be a need of $60,000 to pay off a loan as we merged that cleared the way for us to move forward without baggage or to show up at a young man's hospital bed and perform a miracle of healing. I guess this is where I come to the problem. God has shown up in so many ways. We are a church that is blessed with almost the same number of people that we started with. Unfortunately, the people have not stayed the same. You see, we seem to be a church that has a revolving door. People are excited to be here once they realize that God wants you to come broken. They seem to lose that excitement when they figure out that he doesn't want you to stay there. You see, the problem is not in the numbers of people, but in the condition of some of those people's hearts. People are scared of taking that next step. If that is you, what are you afraid of? Change? Are you afraid of losing that freedom and grace that you feel like you just found? I can assure you things only get better from here. Not easier, but definitely better. Now, I'm not speaking to everyone here because we have people who have a heart for Jesus that I, that I hope to have one day. If you are one of those people struggling to take that next step, know this. You are loved here. And we want to help you grow in your relationship with Christ. We just talked about a devotion to God, and I think if you are growing in your walk with Jesus, then things start to change in your heart. And when things change in your heart things begin to change in the world around you. You know, as I wrote this, I knew that I was going to make some people mad. Just like I always got mad when the pastor talked about tithing and all I was doing was giving. How could he ask for more money? I'm sure that he's not tithing. How stupid would that be to pay yourself? Do you know that our three pastors are in the top 25 givers in a church of 350 to 400 people? Does that make you scratch your head like it does me? That wasn't the only time that the pastor made me mad, just like when the pastor talked about serving. What are you talking about, pastor? Don't you see me here at the front door greeting every Sunday? 
when it's not football season. You know, I have to have my priorities. Tithe your time, talents, and money. That is what God tells us to do. But he tells us to do it with a joyful heart. If you are not doing it for the right reasons, then God doesn't want you to do it at all. God does not want you to do something that you do not freely give. At the men's prayer team last week, one of, the, one of our brothers prayed that we not grow complacent. That we not grow complacent. Have you grown complacent for Jesus? Do you think that you've done enough? If you do, maybe you have. But I think you need to assess where your heart is. We are a church that is a status quo. That means that we are the 20-80 rule. 20% of the people do 80% of the work. 20% of the people tithe their time, talents, and money. We have constantly struggled with volunteers. The ones that we do have become so worn out that they almost have to leave the church to get a break. We need to come together now, all at one time. Not 30 and then another 33 months later. The first 30 are exhausted by then. We need to come together as family now. The Next Step ministry is being started to do several things. Its main focus will be to get new people connected. It will also work towards connecting the ones who have been here but not been able to make those connections. Next Steps will be for those who will want to find ways to deepen their walk and strengthen their faith. We know how difficult it can be to get started and to make connections in a church that is our size. You all have a card. I'd like to give you some, something to think about. Think about the things that I've talked about today. Think about the three practices and the devotion to God. And I want you to fill out your card by writing on it, what keeps you from moving forward in your walk? Or, if this is the day that you have decided to give your life to Christ, or if you are one of those that is tired and needs to feel God's arms wrapped around you again, if you call TBA your church home, I would like for you to please make sure that you respond. Please fill out that card. If you'd like to put your name on it in a way we can contact you, either Joni or myself or one of the Next Steps team will make contact with you and see how we can best assist you in taking those next steps. I want to call the men's prayer team up front, please. Could Elaine, you mind to grab the guys out of the room there? I get the men's prayer team to please come up front. If you would, line up right across the front, guys. I want you to talk to one of these men today. I want you to talk to one of these men today. Let them tell you more about the prayer team. These guys, these are guys that have committed a year of their life 
to walk closer to God, to spend time in his word, and to go to battle every day for you, me, and each other. These guys get up every Wednesday morning and show up at the youth house at 5 o'clock in the morning and we spend time praying. Now there are other men in the church that have the same devotion to God, but these are the guys that I walk closest to. And have the ability to speak into each of their lives just as they do into mine. These are, in my opinion, the Navy SEALs of TBA. <laughs> I know they don't want to hear that, but they are. These guys work hard. They train hard. They want to go to battle for you. If you think that you are willing to make this kind of commitment, please talk with me or one of these men today. If you are looking for iron to sharpen iron, we have a great men's group that meets at 6 a.m. each Wednesday morning at the youth house. If 6 a.m. is too early for you, we have a new men's group planning to start soon that will meet at 8 p.m. on Monday evening at the youth house. Please find one of us and talk with us. Band, if you would, go ahead and come up, please. Next thing I want to do is I want to bring up another group of warriors that have been in the battle a whole lot longer than these men. The ladies' prayer team from Tuesday morning would please come forward. These ladies have been fighting for us at least once a week for the last 12 years. These are the ladies. Yes, give them a hand, please. These are the ladies of Tuesday morning prayer group that meets in the youth house each week at 1030 in the morning. These are the ones who started it all and have been faithfully lifting you and the church up in prayer for a very long time. When the band starts to play, if you would, please bring your card up. You can drop it off with one of the prayer team members. Or if it's confidential, please feel free to drop it off in one of the baskets that's up here on the stage. But I would plead with you to please take advantage of one of these people up here. Let them pray over you. You know, everyone's story is different. Every path has different bumps and turns. But every path you should end every path should end in the same place at the feet of Jesus one more thing then I will close in prayer as you get closer to God as you fall more in love with Jesus as you turn more of your life over to the Holy Spirit it becomes less about you and more about others let's pray